Welcome, dear readers. You're listening to Time to Read, a Winnipeg Public Library podcast book club. We are coming to you from our home away from home, the Carol Shields Auditorium, nestled deep inside the Millennium Library. This is, of course, located on Treaty 1 territory and on land that is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and is the homeland of the Métis Nation. In this episode, we will be discussing The Break by Winnipeg's own Katerina Vermette. I'm Trevor Lockhart, branch head of the Louis Rail Library, and to my left is... Hi, I'm Erica Ball. I'm the branch head at Fort Gary Library. And to my left is... Hi, I'm Dennis Penner, and I work at the Idea Mill here at Millennium Library. And to everybody's left is... Hi, everyone. It's Kirsten. I am the branch head at the Harvey Smith Library. And while I couldn't be there in person today, The Break by Katrina Vermette was a book that I was excited to read again and to talk about. So I am joining you via voice memo. A good book can carry me away from an ever-engined ordinary day, yeah. So keep it down, leave me alone, close the doors and turn off the phone, cause all I ever really need is a little more time to read. And you, dear readers, we couldn't do this without you. It's your questions and comments that form the heart of our discussions. Find out if your comments made it on the air by subscribing to Time to Read on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and other fine podcasting services. In a moment, we'll hear from Kirsten again, who will start us off by giving us a brief biography of the author. Then Erica will spoil everything with a brief synopsis. Then it is on to the discussion, which you can get in on by emailing us at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca or by finding our friendly Facebook group. Don't forget to stick around to the end for our special segment, Nerd Words for Word Nerds. Kirsten, over to you. Katrina Vermette is a Métis woman from Treaty 1 Territory, Winnipeg, Manitoba, heart of the Métis Nation. She has worked as a kindergarten teacher. She is, of course, a writer, a poet, an activist, filmmaker. She has her Master of Fine Arts from University of British Columbia in Creative Writing. Her book of poetry, North End Love Songs, won the 2013 Governor General's Award for Poetry and was also in 2015 the Winnipeg Public Library's On the Same Page book, which is a province-wide reading initiative. She has also written children's picture book series called The Seven Teaching Stories, and uh, she's also started a series of graphic novels, the first one being A Girl Called Echo about the Red River Resistance. And in 2018, she wrote another beautiful book of poetry called River Woman. She has been a member of the Indigenous Writers Collective since 2004 and has said, quote, I think writing is a conversation, one that I have with not only readers, but also with writers who have come before me. She has written since she was a child, and she says that through childhood and young adulthood, she was writing to process and think about things mostly bad things, in an attempt to make some sense of the world. And she certainly continues to explore those big, hard issues that depict these big, hard truths. Things like searching for identity, um, the effects of colonialization, ongoing institutional and systemic racism. And ultimately, she does want the reader to have an emotional connection with her work and so you may have noticed that in, in before some of her works, she does include some trigger warnings. And I just, I wanted to end this, the, the bio of, of her, just noting as well that all of us here who make up the Time to Read crew, we are non-Indigenous. And in an interview, she said that she hopes that from reading her works, she would like Indigenous persons to feel seen and respected and for non-Indigenous persons to see and have respect for Indigenous subjects. So that is my bio of Katrina Vermet. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's so much there. I think it's necessary and excellent to recognize that we are, you know, non-Indigenous people here. 
And then also to appreciate that sentiment of trying to further the understanding of people who are not Indigenous of this very important and especially in Winnipeg becoming even more important every day, it seems like, worldview that at least I was not raised to understand. And the emotional connection thing too. Just before I get into the synopsis, I want to acknowledge that, that everybody that I know and myself had a strong emotional connection to this book. All right. Sorry. Synopsis. When Stella, a young Métis mother, looks out her window one evening and spots someone in trouble on the break, a barren field on an isolated strip of land outside her house, she calls the police to alert them to a possible crime. In a series of shifting narratives, people who are connected both directly and indirectly with the victim, police, family, and friends, tell their personal stories leading up to that fateful night. Lou, a social worker, grapples with the departure of her partner. Cheryl, an artist, mourns the untimely death of her sister. Paulina, a single mother, struggles to trust her new partner. Phoenix, a homeless teenager, is released from a youth detention center. Officer Scott, a Métis policeman, is caught between two worlds as he patrols the city. Through their various perspectives, a larger, more comprehensive story about lives in this community and the after-effects of trauma emerges. And that's just from the publisher's synopsis. Well, there it is. The break. <laughs> Katarina Vermette. Yeah. Uh, a book that has been on all of our radars for before we started this podcast. I remember when we started talking and planning what our first book was going to be over two years ago. One of the mm-hmm. ones that we were thinking of doing was Katarina Vermette's The Break to start things off. It's a, yeah. a Winnipeg writer, a local story. We It's taken two and a half years maybe to work up the courage to to take this one on. Yeah. It's a, a difficult read. It was also, was it? though, it was also because one of our criteria was to have it be books that weren't too hard to get a hold of from the library. And the amazing buzz around this book and the amazing popularity of this book meant that the holds list was always very high. So we've been sort of watching and waiting until we could do it at a time when it was more realistic for people to be able to get their hands on it or to have already read it. That's an excellent point. Yeah, we yeah. often will want to make sure as many people who listen to us have access to the books through Winnipeg Public Library. Yeah. And uh, so sometimes the newest, most popular books we won't cover on this podcast right away, but we will get to them if there's a demand. Mm-hmm. Rather than start with a dark or uh, <laughs> a difficult question, I'd like to start us off with maybe an easier question, which is this book takes place in Winnipeg. <laughs> uh Winnipeg, the word, the name doesn't actually appear in the book, but uh, we're all lifelong Winnipeggers. I think we could easily recognize things like McPhillip Street, Selkirk Avenue, um, the North End, uh, all, all these locations. question that we put out on social media, but I'd like to also get your guys' take on it too, is did you find the Winnipeg settings distracting or did they uh, enhance the story or did it not make a difference? Um, when we put this question out on social media, we had many responses on Instagram. And interestingly, they were all the same response, which was uh, everyone thought that knowing the location and knowing it was Winnipeg added to the story and added to the experience. None of them found it a distraction. And uh, they all liked that. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, they're all, are they all Winnipegers, though, is the thing? Well, yeah. My impression was that uh, they, it was more like, oh, cool, this was in Winnipeg. And, and uh, if anything, it just added to their appreciation of the story i think and and you know my take on it i'd love to google street view uh <laughs> locations so i was having a field day with this book i had a very eerie experience where i was on google street view on mcphillips and i went west from there and just as katarina vermette describes in the opening pages of, of the book my google street view search came to the break i wow. just saw it there and uh, it's unmistakable these giant hydro lines uh cutting a swath into uh, the city from exactly what she says from Selkirk to Leela. And I just on the computer screen, just stopped for a moment and just kind of, just kind of looked at it and took it in. And uh, it was, it was a very uh, kind of, I don't know, moving moment for me to, to actually see a visual of this section of Winnipeg that I was not familiar with up to before I read this. So yeah, yeah it definitely. Personally, I love whenever I read something or watch something and it's a place I recognize. Uh, like when the Pelican Brief came out, I had been to New Orleans just before that came out. And I was like, oh, I've been there and I've been there. Mm-hmm. And I'm, we're used to everything being set somewhere else, like Los Angeles, New York, uh, you know, other places. And it almost feels like, you know, no one would set anything in Winnipeg because it's not interesting. But when you actually see your 
And I think maybe this is what representation in media generally is about. When mm. you recognize yourself or the place you are from, it gives you a deeper connection and makes you feel like other people see that too. So I just love the fact that it was set in Winnipeg, even though it's, you know, not showing the uh, most optimistic sides of Winnipeg necessarily, but, but it's a very real important part of Winnipeg. And, you know, I've walked down those streets, I've been in those areas, I've talked to people who are very much like these characters, and that all makes the book a lot more connected to me as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's fantastic. I really like that, that comment about representation because I think as Canadians and then especially as like prairie Canadians, we don't see ourselves represented in the media that we watch a lot, um, especially because it's a lot of it is American. And I, even though like, you know, even when the word Winnipeg comes up, it's usually it's a funny place for somebody to be from or it, it's a funny word or it's or Canadians are being made fun of. So it is neat to see us represented in something um, in such an authentic way. Like we are someplace where things happen, where things deserve to happen. And I also really like that she doesn't name Winnipeg, which I feel was also the case in Republic of Love, the hmm. Carol Shields. And because even though she's setting it in a very specific place in the break and in, in places that are sort of, for me, kind of like typically Winnipeg-ish, it could be anywhere that this stuff happens, you know? Hmm. Um, yeah. parts of it are maybe more unique to here because just because of the, like the history of our particular city, but really a lot of it could happen anywhere. So it's kind of specific in general in the same way at the same time. I mean, yeah. yeah. And I think it, it is so much more meaningful knowing that Katarina Vermette grew up in Winnipeg, she, you know, in the North end, these stories, even though all these particular characters are, are fictional and made up. She's obviously drawing on personal experience and, and, and stories and people she knows, people in her family. And it just gives it such a, a, a rich authenticity that uh, sometimes books that are set in Winnipeg don't have that flavor. And I was thinking of, mm -hmm. uh, I, I was thinking about other books that were set in Winnipeg, fictional books. And one that came to mind was, I, I used to really like this uh, horror writer, Clive Barker. Mm -hmm. uh, and he wrote a book in the early 90s called Sacrament. And it opens up in Churchill, Manitoba, hmm. where a wildlife photographer is mauled by a polar bear. And uh, he is brought down to Winnipeg to the Health Sciences Center to recover for a bit. And then the story goes on from there, off, in some, off the rails and some crazy. Uh, but uh, even though I thought, oh, this is so cool. I wonder why he chose Winnipeg. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't feel like Winnipeg. As I was, as I was reading those sections, I thought, I wonder if he's ever even been here. Oh. Like, uh, and it, was, it could have been any generic maybe mid-sized city that he was describing. And I, I was a little disappointed in that because I was super stoked when I realized the section was going to be in Winnipeg. And then my first memories of a Winnipeg story were the uh, Eric Wilson mysteries, Tom Austin, because Tom Austin yeah. was from Winnipeg. So like Murder in the Canadian, he got on the train in Winnipeg, yeah. Terror in Winnipeg. So uh, those ones, you know, uh, were, were great. But uh, something about this one, whether it's the location or just the way that she's been writing about these characters and the different voices, which brings me to another question about this book is the way the structure of this book as it was written. It's written by, from very different various points of view throughout the book. The main characters, several of them have are given chapters. Uh, interestingly, some of them are in the first person where they're actually talking right at you. And a lot of them are third person where you get the, the narrator in there. That's uh, something that uh, we asked whether those kinds of books, and this is the second book in a, a row that we've read like that when we think mm -hmm. back to last month's Great House, uh, where we had different shifting narratives. And um, uh, how do you... Um, respond to that is that is that something that you like do you find it distracting um i think uh, kirsten had some comments on that when we chose this book originally to do i did think about trevor and all of the multiple narrators and how he was going to handle that and then when i reread it i and opened up the very first page and saw that we there was a whole chart that vermet had provided us and i thought trevor you must have been so happy to see that chart but did you still write something up too because i know i still wrote along uh, a little bit with it but i thought the multiple narrators worked really, really well. I thought Vermette really just was able to create such strong, real characters. And once I got to know each individual character, I just could easily tell them apart. I, I just thought it was just so well written in that way. 
And because one of the themes is the importance of family and our interconnectedness, then really you needed to have multiple narrators, I think, because how do we get through violent, traumatic experiences? We get through them hopefully, with each other and with our family, whether chosen or born. And it's that interconnectedness that is so important. And just a little aside, I I think Vermette's new book continues with the Phoenix story. I know our Manitoba Library Association Prison Libraries Committee has a book club, and they just recently read The Break uh, in the summer. And Katrina Vermette actually came to the prison at the Women's Correctional Center to, to talk and meet with the women and it was super exciting for everyone that she was there and uh, I think she was able to actually give some updates about that new story and about the Phoenix's story and that was um, really exciting for the women to be able to um, to meet Katrina I know the story had really resonated with them so anyway all this to say thumbs up for the multiple narrators I think Vermette really succeeded <laughs> I mean I agree Trevor, you held up a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> I did. You know, Kirsten really does know me well. I, I did breathe a sigh of relief when I turned to the beginning of the book and realized that we had a lovely family tree listed here, which I did refer to often. Yeah, but I refer to it often but, as but well. It, but it wasn't quite enough for me to get a real sense of the characters. So I did actually make a chart. It's not quite as... Uh, insane looking as my chart for a great house, but it did list out the different characters, the relations to each, each other. And then I began to think we could almost write a separate family tree chart, but have it as a relational chart because there are a bunch of, a bunch of important characters in the book that don't make it into the family per se, like uh, Rita, the mm-hmm. friend and her kids, Ziggy and uh, Sonny. And uh, of course, Officer Scott, who we're going to mm-hmm. talk about Tommy, uh, hopefully in a little bit. So yeah, these these stories really drive my brain crazy. Although I did find uh, a good trick to, to get into it was after I read through the whole book, I went back and I, I just read the uh, the Lou passages mm-hmm. because the Lou passages are the only ones, aside from the very end, spoilers, that are in the first person. So they're the, they're the chapters that actually talk directly to the reader. So and, and there's a lot of exposition in those stories catching you up on the plot. So if you just go through and just read the, the Lou chapters, uh, you, you get a well, obviously you get Lou's perspective, but you also, I feel like that's a good into the family and the whole situation because you're, you're getting her thoughts on top of the plot that happens. And you know, then this is what she's thinking, whereas you're sort of just responding to people's actions before and you're assuming you understand why they're doing certain things, but the motivations are very clear from Lou's point of view. So if anyone out there listening is like me and sees multiple narrators and 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 just starts to like uh, get cold sweats. Uh, I I feel like this this book could, I could follow and I love this one line though uh, that uh, uh, Tommy said where he said something like in his head all those women blend into one their faces so similar and uh, and that's how I felt at the beginning because it seemed like everyone was doing like okay there's the over and over again like the ritual of going to get coffee and coming mm. back and. And, and going here and going there. and But then eventually, the, no, uh, I had to disagree with, with uh, Officer Scott. I was mm. beginning to actually, like uh, Kirsten said, recognize the different characters and, and, the, and their personalities and their relations. And it was a good way, mm-hmm. maybe the only way to tell a story like this. With the multiple perspectives. Yeah. 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 I, was, I, I am normally a person who really prefers a single narrator, single viewpoint. So this type of story is normally not my thing. But Vermette's writing is so solid and her ability to capture the nuances of a voice, like all the conversational bits are extremely authentic. Like as soon as I heard it, it doesn't only sound like, you know, some individuals talking, but it sounds like indigenous people that I know the way they talk. And you you can tell one from the other and the way that they put things Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Uh, And it's subtle too, right? Mm Because I mean, you know, we vary, but we don't vary huge amounts, but all those subtleties are very consistent. The little ways they, little turns of phrase and things like that, it captures it really well. It's kind of like with TV shows. If I had to compare like the break to one, it would be The Wire, Mm -hmm. which is also a, you know, again, I like my TV shows a little more concise, usually uh, something like Breaking Bad, which is very focused on a particular character. But The Wire manages all these different interconnecting pieces in this 
tapestry mm-hmm. that really tells a story that you can't tell another way. And the break is comparable to that in terms of the quality of being able to capture all these interconnected people, their own individual stories, but also how they coalesce into a bigger story. In a specific place in a specific time. Yeah, well. it's it's kind of remarkable like, reading it. Like, yeah. uh, I, I'm also one who's not really inclined to poets writing mm. books because I tend to think that they are overly flowery and, mm. you know, things like that. But again, she there are floral passages in there, but they are very appropriate and they drew me in rather than made me think this person is trying to be too much of a wordsmith, right? Mm. It's It's not distracting. Uh, and the multiple characters initially are, were challenging for me. But like you said, Trevor, after you get a little bit into it, you start feeling the differences between everybody and understanding them a little more that way. Yeah. From our uh, Facebook group, Christy Willem uh, wrote that two or more narrators is her favorite. And she says, now that I know this book has multiple points of view, I'll have to add it to my read reading list. So. <laughs> So great, Chrissy. I'm glad that we uh, found a, a, a book wreck for you. And you can let us know after you read it what you, what you thought of it. Yes, please. Speaking of the different characters and the different voices, do, did either of you have um, a character that you particularly identified with or, or somebody that you kept hoping the story would come back to or focus on? Or, or, well, or, or was yeah. it just more the whole the tapestry as it uh, was presented to us un, un, uh, unfurling? Well, it's kind of funny just to kind of go on a little bit of a tangent before answering that, because the the line about the women blending together, I like kind of personally identified with because in my family, like I have two sisters and my mom and, and her sister and one female cousin. And we sort of, the women sort of run things. Like we're the ones arranging for people to get together. My sisters and, all, and I all kind of sound alike. Like there's a lot of family resemblance and stuff. So we've, we've kind of always heard that we sort of blend together and it's hard to, to separate us sometimes. And I think maybe Kirsten would have something similar to say. But for me, the the character of Stella really stood out. And I don't know if it's because of the role she plays in the book and in the story. I personally, I don't know if it's because she's a young mom and I, you know, my kid is, I guess, older now, but I still really remember that the the baby years. But also for some reason, and this is just my feelings, I feel like Stella was written as Katerina Vermette's proxy. Like, the person, the character that she wrote the most uh, after herself, I have n- no basis for saying that, except that that is the feeling I got from reading the character. So I really, I I would have read so much more about Stella and about Stella navigating life as well. Well, I, I love those passages where Stella reconnects with her kukum yeah. and visits mm-hmm. her. And uh, the, I mean, when we talk about this book being dark and uh, obviously it deals with serious, but there's moments of beautiful uh, light and connection like those scenes when uh, just g- gorgeous i just want to spend yeah. all my time on that couch right yeah i don't know that i had a character that i wanted the story to keep going back to because i kept just wanting to see how how everyone would deal with it but i had a favorite character and that was ziggy <laughs> because you know ziggy <laughs> I mean, she recognized the tr- the danger that they could be in right from the beginning. She rec- mm-hmm. she she knew you shouldn't go to this party. Didn't want Emily to go. Emily wanted to go, so she goes with her. Mm-hmm. And then there, you know, Clayton's kind of trying to get her to leave so he can be alone with Emily. And Ziggy's like, "Nope, mm-hmm. I I want to get out of here, but I am not leaving mm-hmm. you here." And every step of the way, she was, you know, totally smart, right. <laughs> trustworthy. Like she she was she was a great friend. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, oh, just, I mean, you know, yeah. and then she, yeah, <laughs> sorry, after what happened to them, you just feel so, so bad. Yeah. But uh, I just love that character and how uh, good a friend she was. Well, and the thing about it being dark, I think I don't, it's not the darkest book I've ever read. Let's just say like, there are lots of books that to me approach the world in a lot of darker way than this book. I feel really more like this book is about the light when the dark tries to creep in. Like that's so, yeah. For me, it was it was difficult to read because of how beautiful it was rather than necessarily the dark subject matter, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because they weren't just like giving up and like, you know, like right. they were all... Like know. the... like the. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't remember the exact word, but I can't say it on the podcast, but they said we're we're effed up, but we're not effed or whatever, yeah, uh, which yeah. is an interesting like distinction. Uh, yeah. Or was it the other way around? 
<laughs> no, I think that was, yeah, yeah. Uh, saying that, you know, yeah, this terrible thing has happened to our family, but we're not giving up. Yeah. Like we're, 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 you know, and I just thought, you know, wow, I've never really heard it put that way, but that's, mm-hmm. that was a great way to put it. I, I knew exactly what she was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when we think of it as dark, but it's really, it was very realistic. Yeah. I don't know exactly what I was expecting going into it, but in a lot of books that I read, you know, something more dramatic happens after an event like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, something bad happens and I was I was half expecting all the the family to get together and, and go find the people who did this and, you know, something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But that, that's not realistic. That's not what really happens and that's not what they did. Mm-hmm. They did what a family has to do. Uh, and it was not exciting or dramatic or anything like that. It was just very real, like very coming to grips with a difficult thing and just being around each other. Mm-hmm. And because uh, you, you can't really f- fix the problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. there, there was nothing. <laughs> there was nothing in here you could fix. There was never going to be a super happy ending to it. Mm-hmm. Even you know, Phoenix gets caught and goes to jail, and uh, and even that isn't. You know, you hear more of Phoenix's story than in it. There's no resolution to any of it. Yeah. yeah it's she, just life. It keeps going. Yeah, she's not really the mustache twirling villain. Yeah. Uh, because uh, the way that Katarina Vermette writes her backstory, there, you realize where she fits into it and that her mom was Elsie and that uh, the, the generational damage that's done by, by the violence. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, uh, and also when Jake and Sonny, I was very worried about them oh, yeah. getting involved with gangs and the black hoodie. Oh, and, my gosh. and I just kept thinking too, like you said, like you, Dennis, that the second shoe was going to fall and it's going to be yeah. what they're going to be murdered or something's going to yeah, happen. You know, and, other, like, and I, I was, my stomach thing. was not reading those sections. Um, yeah. you know, the, you know, the male characters, don't come off very well in this book. Uh, Really. It's a repeating theme. I mean, any type of spouse or partner tends to just want to go off to the bush and disappear. The the one guy I really felt for was the new boyfriend, Pete. Yeah. Also known as Stinky. Yeah. uh, Because he was initially like the prime suspect. Yeah. Right. All all the sisters and the aunties thought, okay, he did this to Emily. Yeah. And he's just like, he seems like, I mean, he's a, like an affable boob. Like he's yeah. like, you know, like, like he's, he's a good guy. Yeah. He's a solid, reliable guy just trying to make his way. And, and I was really kind of pulling for him. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I hope, I hope he's, he's okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that was interesting that definitely, yeah, it's. Well, I think that's one of the continuing themes of the book too, is that uh, the women in the story, their experience with men has been been that they are unreliable at best Mm -hmm. and so when she's in this relationship with pete and it's like yeah it's great and he seems like such a great guy and she's feeling really optimistic about it paulina is and but some of her sisters are a little bit like well you know especially lou who's just had a, a great guy who had come into her life and she had felt exactly like this and now he's leaving and maybe he's cheating it's hard to say <laughs> she can't tell and they're trying to cope with like they want to be able to trust pete for example mm-hmm. and it's just none of their fathers were reliable mm-hmm. you know um past relationships are unreliable mm-hmm. yeah and so how do you how do you extend that trust again after constantly being let down and then there's the self blame that goes with it it's like well was he okay? Was it me? You know, the, yeah. it's uh, such a, you can't really summarize it into a single thought. It's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Well, that's why I connected so much with the, the Lou chapters because you get it from her perspective and a lot of it is her own like uh, self-loathing. She says, mm-hmm. this is, you know, I thought this, you know, was just something that happened to me, but I realize now it's me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm cold. It's me. I'm the one that's driving you know, my men away or like, you know, she, mm-hmm. she, she, you know, just puts it all on her own shoulders. And, uh, yeah. And the self-loathing thing, like it's always hard to see how others see us. And so listening to all these characters, like Emily talking about how she felt, you know, ugly and gross and stuff like that. Whereas Ziggy is like, Emily's so beautiful, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so you get, that's another place where the multiple narrators really helps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my favorite part about multiple narrators. And then and then also like having the same view of the same event and how two people can like remember it very differently even mm-hmm. just because of what they brought to it. I love that about multiple narrators. Another question we put out on social media was asking people's preferences, generally what kind of books they enjoy reading. 
uh, we identified the break as a difficult read. We asked people if they enjoy reading books where you can learn something, you know, a bit meaty, sink your teeth into, or do you turn to books for mindless escape or a bit of both? And um, we did have uh, one person respond to that on Instagram. She goes by the name OO Nevermore OO. <laughs> she writes, I almost always have two types of reading material going at the same time. One light and fluffy, and another much more educational or even a scholarly work like a thesis. So that's one way that's, to approach it. Yeah, that's really awesome. I, I often have a fiction and a nonfiction going at the same time, but I tend to like the same thing in both. I don't like to read to learn specifically. Mm. I do read nonfiction if it's written in an engaging way. And then the same thing, I like my fiction to have bits of something in there that's new to me or a different perspective or something like that. Mm. But yeah. I'm almost always an escapist reader. Mysteries, sci-fi, general fiction. Mm -hmm. Not that I, I won't read serious fiction, but just much less often. And I read a lot of nonfiction basically because I want to learn the thing that's in it. But to me, that's also kind of escapist because I'm imagining that I can become very good at knowing what <laughs> this thing is that I'm reading about. I think Kirsten had something to... So I'm kind of enjoying sending some of my comments through voice memo to you guys. But I have to say I miss looking across the table at Erica where I can see her kind face nodding knowingly at me empathically. <laughs> but uh, I miss you too, Trevor and Dennis. I do. But uh, I just wanted to just, I don't know, talk about, I, I kind of personally like some of the harder stories to read, um, the difficult ones. And in the break, these were all women with such hard lives. And yet, I don't know, somehow finding a way to be hopeful. But along with that, sort of the strength of family and the interconnectedness, there's also such a theme of storytelling, which also really resonated with me and being story keepers. And there was that one section where Tom, he's in his, the conversation with his mom, with um, Marie. And at one point, he's thinking about a story to give to her, like stories are a gift. And I really love that. I was just listening this morning to a David Suzuki interview with uh, Anna Maria Tremonti's new podcast. And he talked about not getting all of the stories from his dad before he died. And so just, I don't know, sharing those stories, gifting those stories, listening to those stories is so important. So despite a book being dark and difficult. I think there are just so many lessons and so much to learn. So I'm a fan of the dark and the difficult. We had a similar discussion in one of our book clubs at Fort Gary. So shout out to the Fort Gary book club where we were talking about pleasure reading versus difficult reads. And it seemed like a lot of them were sort of on this on the same page. But I, I told the story of this, the lady who cuts my hair. She loves books that make her cry. Like she tortures herself with these stories about the Holocaust or just like the most gut-wrenching things that she can find. And then her boyfriend has to threaten to take them away because she's like, she's. this is how she gets out all her sad feelings and they depress her. But I think it performs a function for her, like a therapeutic function mm. to get that out. Yeah, my wife only reads things that are either based in fact, or cover controversial or difficult issues that are mm. challenging to read. Mm. Like she doesn't read fluff. Mm. Doesn't like it at all. <laughs> different, awesome. different things for different people. Yes, people are different. They are. I mean, and the reality for me is that I often will have more than one book on the go, but I try not to. I try to have one on the go and I read it. I totally focus on it. But then I don't have a particular go-to genre. Like if I read something that is dark and difficult, then I'll try to read something a little lighter next, like a palate cleanser and then mm -hmm. something else. So, um, and then sometimes if a book comes in for me that I've been wanting, then I almost have to like an air traffic controller, like clear the deck <laughs> and, and yeah. say, okay, all these other books are on hold. This one gets priority clearance because I want to read it and uh, get right to it. So I guess, yeah, we all have different ways of reading. And yeah. that makes, speaking of books, it makes me want to segue into our most awkwardly ah. worded segment. Can you tell me about a book you would also like? Who would like to go first? Everybody looks at me and I'll, so I'll go first. Also, I, I want to go first. So the book that I think you'd also like if you like this book is Women Talking by Miriam Taves. I thought of it especially because she's also a Manitoba author. She was born in Steinbeck. 
I can't remember. Anyway, she was born in Manitoba. And Women Talking is also about a group of women coming together and their complicated interrelationships and them trying to process and deal with an act of violence from within their community, but also dealing with systemic oppression and doesn't take place here, but it does take place in a fictionalized Manitoba colony. So there's definitely lots of connections there. Well, I can um, go next if that's all right. Uh, uh, this is a bit of a cheat because this is a book that if you've listened to the podcast from the beginning, you will already know we've talked about. But the book that I picked was Beartown by Frederick Backman. It came out in 2017. And if you want to go back and listen to the whole episode, <laughs> go for it. But briefly, it's also a story about a community in a uh, winter setting where something terrible happens and how the community reacts or comes together. It's on a much longer time scale over uh, weeks and months as opposed to the break, which is just a matter of a few days. But it's a very interesting uh, story that uh, you'll hear more about when you listen to the episode. Uh, and also, just like the break was, uh, it dealt with a very specific part of the world, but at the same time addressed themes that I think we would call universal or relatable, no matter where in the world it was, whether it's a small Swedish town or uh, the north end of a mid-sized Canadian city. So my suggestion for another book you might like if you enjoyed the break is a book that came to mind actually right away for me. It's a book that I just read this past summer called An Untamed State by Roxane Gay. One uh, review in The Guardian uh, called it an unflinching portrayal of sexual and spiritual violence. So there you go. A little bit of a heads up of what to expect. Unlike The Break, it is told pretty much from the perspective of one narrator, Muriel, a daughter of Haitian immigrants who she returns to Haiti with her family to visit her now very wealthy parents. And Muriel is kidnapped and held for ransom. And if you've read Roxanne Gay before, you know that she's written often about the human body and its capacity for survival in her um, book Hunger and also Bad Feminist. She talks about her own rape. And in this book, there's also issues of identity and privilege and class and sex as a weapon of terror. And very much so, too, An Untamed State is also a story of the strength of the human body as well. It's written so beautifully, so well. It's very simple, simply written. It's very direct. It's super smart. And yeah, it's brutally honest with some very traumatic truths in there as well. But I do recommend An Untamed State by Roxanne Gay. Nice. I'm going to make a really obvious choice for my uh, book you might also like. Uh, if you enjoyed the break, then uh, you may also like April Raintree by Beatrice Moissini. I probably mispronounced that. They're both about indigenous experiences, uh, both set in Winnipeg, although April Raintree uh, also moves around a bit in Canada. They both have traumatic events that they're dealing with. They're both very powerful stories. Where they differ is that um, April Raintree is told from a single perspective, a single narrator. It's a very focused story. It's maybe less sophisticated in some ways. I compared uh, the break earlier to The Wire uh, as for the multiple complex interlocking storylines. And in this comparison, April Raintree would be uh, Breaking Bad, where it's also an extremely powerful story but told more from that single focus and uh, maybe easier to follow for that. Uh, I found it an easier read in that sense, a little less complexity, less flowery language, but um, but again, ex extremely powerful. This is one that I think they teach in schools now. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was growing up, it wasn't uh, hadn't been written yet, and so I didn't get a chance to read it in that context. But if you, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. if you're in, especially if you're in, Winnipeg or in the prairies in Canada, you know, this is the type of story that so many people have gone through and experienced that it's definitely worth a read. Yeah. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, <laughs> Nerd Words for Word Nerds, the part of each show where the hosts boil down their most prevalent thoughts of the past month into one word. Who wants to start us off? Mine will make you mad. Well, no, it won't make you mad. But I, I had trouble p picking a word, so I picked 14. 
words. <laughs> oh my um, God. I'm, I am, I'm incensed. I know. No, but really, no, I have, I have a word. I just have like 14 examples and I don't need to go through them all. But the, my, my word is auto antonym or uh, contronym, which is a word that is its own antonym. So it has two meanings and they are the reverse to each other. Mental Floss had a funny way of putting it. Here's an ambiguous sentence for you. Because of the agency's oversight, the corporation's behavior was sanctioned. Does that mean because the agency oversaw the company's behavior, they imposed a penalty for some transgression? Or does it mean because the agency was inattentive, they overlooked the misbehavior and gave it their approval by default? So I boiled down the long list of these words to 14, and I'm just going to go through them kind of quickly. So there's sanction, which can mean give official permission or approval or impose a penalty on. There's oversight, which I think I've mentioned like a long time ago because it's one of my like things like oversight Uh, can either mean like oversee as in supervise or it can mean overlook as in to disregard or ignore. There's left, which can either mean something that's remaining or something that's departed. The gentlemen have left and the ladies are left in the room, for example. Dust, along with seed and stone, are things that can mean either something that's added or removed. You can either, when you dust, or are you applying dust or removing it? It depends whether you're dusting the crops or the furniture. When you seed the lawn, you add seeds. But if you seed a tomato, you remove them. You can stone some peaches, but don't stone your neighbor. Trim depends on what's being readied. It could mean two contradictory things. It could, trim could mean to decorate, or it can mean to give a finished appearance, or, or, or it can mean to cut off the outgrowths or irregularities of. So, And even in the context, if you're trimming the tree, are you using tinsel or a chainsaw? Fast can mean moving rapidly, as in running fast, or fixed and in moving, and unmoving, as in holding fast. If colors are fast, they will not run. Off means deactivated, as in to turn off, but also activated, as in the alarm went off. Screen can mean a show or a movie, or to hide, like an unsightly view. Fight can be interpreted three ways. He fought with his mother-in-law can mean they argued, they served together in the war, or he used the old battle axe as a weapon. Go, me- go means to proceed, but it also means give out or fail, i.e. this car could really go until it started to go. Out can mean visible or invisible. For example, it's a good thing the full moon was out when the lights went out. Out, uh, out of means outside or inside. I hardly get out of the house because I work out of my home. Wow. So these, there's like so many more, but yeah. I don't think you have to do nerd words for the rest of the year now. <laughs> I couldn't. I tried to like leave. I, I cut out a whole bunch of them, but I, <laughs> each I example is 14. fantastic. So it was good, yeah. Right? So yes. So the, the my word actually was contronym. Mm-hmm. Aha! There you go. For my nerd word, I'm sure that Erica, Dennis, and Trevor no doubt spoke about this already <laughs> during the podcast. But this book oh. really obviously promotes empathy and resilience. And one of our questions was actually about the idea of that the person is not actually a monster, but there is a monster sometimes within. So empathy is something I've really been thinking about for a long time with so much um, happening in the world right now. So much conflict, anger, um, misunderstanding, constant systemic racism and real societal ignorance. Um, So I just really been thinking a lot and wishing for more empathy, trying to practice more empathy and to practice uh, more compassion. So uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary describes empathy as the capacity to understand or feel what another person is experiencing from their frame of reference. That is the capacity to place oneself in another's position. And I think finding empathy for people who do bad things is super difficult. And I think Katrina Vermet really skillfully allowed us to get somehow into Phoenix's mind a little bit, into her life to see what kind of a violent world she lived in. And she was taken from her family, neglected, abused. And so we, we feel empathy for Phoenix. So, yeah, that is my nerd word for this episode is empathy. Yeah. She always hits the nail on the head, doesn't she? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad we actually did talk a bit about that. Uh, yeah. About, I've seen Phoenix a different light or else I'd feel really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's, I think it's kind of underneath a lot of what we talked about the whole time. 
And, you know, when we talk about the emotional connection to the book and everything like that is that it's and it's due to how well the characters are portrayed. It's due to the sensitivity of the subject matter. It's due to the multiple narratives that you do feel empathetic for everybody, including the person who commits this horrible act of violence. So empathy. So my nerd word for this month is cycle. So a cycle is a... And time interval in which a repeating sequence of events goes through to completion or an event or event or circumstance that repeats over time. Cycles run our lives. The earth revolves around the sun. The moon revolves around the earth. Our hearts beat. Our lungs breathe. We have economic cycles that control uh, a lot of things. We have individual cycles uh, for our bodies. Our hormones uh, go through cycles and things like that. Sometimes you can recognize when you're in a cycle and you can break out of it. Uh, sometimes you can't see the cycle that you're in, but you can see someone else's patterns repeating around you. And yeah, this book really talked a lot about it. it was like a slice of a cycle for a lot of different elements and uh, really skillfully showed that so that word came to mind nice well uh, my word sort of came out of uh the tone from uh the break i felt it was a very like a cold book in terms of uh well it's set in winter but there are sort of the icy whites the dismal grays and the sharp blues are uh, repeat throughout the whole novel and so it made me, uh, that combined to the fact that I was making a grocery list a couple of weeks ago <laughs> on, a, on a, a memo paper that said Pantone on it, P-A-N-T-O-N-E. I didn't know what that word was, so I had to look it up. And this nerd word is more just a, a cry for help because this put me down like a rabbit hole. Uh, apparently it's a company. It's been around since the 1950s. They don't really sell anything, but they sell the idea of color. And whenever you get like those sample books, they put those out, oh. but they have a monopoly on the, the color um, spectrum. They use a different <laughs> color spectrum. You know, all, all the printers in the world use the CMYK uh, system, which is you can make any color you want out of cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. Pantone uses 13 base pa uh, pigments, 14 well. if you include black. For the last 20 years, since the year 2000, Pantone has come up with a color of the year from the Pantone uh, Color Institute, which is a, a secretive group that meets every two years in a European city and where they determine what the uh, color of the year is going to be. Not only that, but what will be the trending colors up to two years in advance. Whoa. So this is kind of like the Illuminati, yeah. but for color. And I'm really worried. I don't know if you're interested. The, yeah. the, the color for 2020 is called classic blue. Classic blue. Um, so we'll see that in home decorating. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see it in uh, uh, if you fashion. want. If you want the technical name, it's 19-4052 uh, classic blue. Uh, they say it's elegant in its simplicity, suggestive of the sky at dusk. The reassuring qualities of the thought-provoking Pantone 19-4652 classic <laughs> blue highlight our desire for a dependable and stable foundation on which to build as we cross the threshold into a new era. Imprinted on our psyches as a restful color, Pantone 19-4052 classic blue brings a sense of peace and tranquility to the human spirit, offering refuge. Aiding concentration and bringing laser-like clarity, Pantone 19-4052 Classic Blue recenters our thoughts. A reflective blue tone, Classic Blue fosters resilience. So I thought, well, I well mean, that's kind of appropriate for our book. So, you know, it, it I, I was worried that I was slipping into depression and needed some medication or something like that. But I think all I really need is classic, classic blue, blue 14-4052. No, 19-4052. If you use the 14-, that's that's that that blue really will. Yeah, it's going to stress you out. Stress but, blue. Like, that's pretty Orwellian, though. Yeah. Because it's like they're so. like. They're like trying to steer the zeitgeist of the planet. Well, and I don't need any more stress in my life. So if I've just created a feud with the Pantone people, uh, <laughs> I regret it. Them, you know, I mean, a I, sounds great. I feel like Let's part of this podcast is raising awareness. <laughs> so I think if we can all just be aware that Pantone <laughs> is out there and, uh, you know, just, just be aware of it. Wow. Okay. I'm going to look so, for that. So, unfortunately, oh, hopefully this doesn't lead to Pantononium. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, a good one. That was fast, too. Man, oh, man. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. unfortunately, that's all the time we have this month. Thank you so much, dear readers, for tuning in to this, our 26th episode of the Time to Read podcast. 
or as I like to think of it, the beginning of our second quarter. In March, join us for a special episode where we discuss all things Merca, the Manitoba Young Readers' Choice Awards. Not sure what Merca is all about? Tune in to find out. Get in on the conversation by finding us on Facebook or emailing us at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca. Have a book you'd love to hear us discuss? Let us know. We'd love it if you'd hit subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast service. We'd love it even more if you were to give us a rate and review. And until next time, make sure you find... Time to Read! Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Time to Read podcast. We were talking about The Break by Katerina Vermet. Time to Read is a production of the Winnipeg Public Library. Our panel today included Trevor Lockhart, Erica Ball, Dennis Penner, and Kirsten Werman. You can be part of our show, too. Email us at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca with suggestions for books that you'd like us to read and discuss, and comments and questions about the book we're reading for our next show. Visit us on the web at wpl-podcast.winnipeg.ca. Check out our show notes with links to some of the things we talked about today, and take part in a discussion about the books we're reading. You can also join our Facebook group and follow Winnipeg Public Library on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Next month, we're reading four books. Coop the Great by Larry Verstraet, Surviving the City by Tasha Spillett, Missing Mike by Sherry Green, and No Fixed Address by Susan Nielsen. They're all titles nominated for this year's Manitoba Young Reader's Choice Awards. We're looking forward to hearing what you think about them. with a lot of difficult topics, not all of which we discussed on the podcast, but uh, I found in her most recent poetry collection, uh, River Woman, a poem called An Other Story, which actually ends the collection. I'd like to just uh, read it so we have a, a little bit of her poetry on this episode too. This country has an other story, one that is not mine or yours, but ours. It is sung from the mountains, danced in the sky. Every star a story that teaches, hold your head up, wisdom descends. This country has another story, not just for you or me, but us. It is a prayer I say to you, every word burns hope, every silence, only peace. Hold me tight, close the distance between us, keep me warm.